Hi, my name is Chris Jensen, and this is my life, and welcome to it. You know, it's amazing how much can take place in a week's time when you're paying attention. I mean, it's just chock full of things. And right now, it's, it seems like the world we live in is uh, still going through a lot of stuff. Um, so it was fun, you know, thinking about my one-year anniversary and, you know, reminiscing about the last year. But uh, it's time to move forward. So I'm going to step into the uh, the next episode and I'm still practicing Aikido and if you remember uh, I mean that's what I'm going to talk about is Aikido so it's on my head and the mind uh, but I was still practicing Sufism uh, and if you remember Sufism um, as it's taught by Hazrat Nai Khan this universal Sufism it does not um, take the place of other thoughts philosophies, spiritual paths, religions, or what have you. Um, and so I could do Aikido and still practice my Sufism. Uh, it was probably, the it was in the early decade of the 90s, 9091, somewhere in there. I'd been driving for UPS for a while. I was in pretty good shape. And I'd gone to a, uh, it was a, uh, it was a fair of some sort, indoors fair, and it was a new agey kind of a theme. And I was walking around and looking at all the displays. And here was a display, and it had this video going. And I stopped to watch it. And here's this little guy, uh, uh, obviously Asian, uh, dressed in uh, special clothes, I'll say throwing a bunch of guys around who were much bigger than he was and uh, uh, they would come at him and he would just toss them like it was nobody's business no problem um, and that was intriguing to me and uh, there was a young couple uh, behind the, the table there and um, they, they were promoting an Aikido school and it was called New School Aikido and it had come to Sacramento from Stockton. Um, and it had, uh, it was looking for students. It was just getting started. And the, uh, one of the owners, it was, it was co-founded. Um, and, uh, but the main uh, founder, the head t teacher, sensei, a uh, guy by the name of Matt Flutie, um, was a much younger person than I, and you know I had I had this thought that it would be good for me to be under the instruction of someone that was younger, because um, there was a part of me that felt that older was wiser, and that young whippersnappers, you know, what do they know anyway? And so I I signed a card uh, indicating my my interest. And I was living in a rental house that was right across from um, Sacramento High School, here downtown Sacramento, Sac High. And I remember getting a phone call. 
and uh, they were asking me my interest and would I like to come to an introductory um, uh, workshop seminar kind of a thing, a one-day event, just to get my feet wet and get a just a glimmering of what Aikido was all about. And I said, sure. It was a, a, a Saturday, and um, so I, I went down, and it was, um, you know, it's in this little tiny place. Um, it's it's no longer there. Um, just a really, really tiny place. And, I mean, if you did a somersault, uh, from one side, I mean, it was, and, and the room was sort of like, it was rectangular. So it was longer than, than it was wide, right? It wasn't square. And if you, from the, the wide part of it, if you were to do a somersault from one wall, you would end up at the other wall. It was that narrow. Um, and, and so we had to be careful. There weren't a lot of students at that point when I entered in. Um, and I, I don't even think there were any black belts. It was a, uh, an Asian uh, martial art type of school, but I, I was soon to learn that um, martial is not the proper adjective for Aikido as it was being taught by New School. But anyway, um, you know, I learned how to roll and I learned, you know, some basic technique stuff and, and it was fun, but it really wasn't anything that I was truly uh, what I, what I, what I thought was going to be, right? I mean, like a self-defense class or I didn't know what it was. But when I get interested in something, I like to just dive into the deep end real quick, right? So I signed up. I signed up and there were classes once a week. And, you know, you start out, it's the, the belt system like karate or judo, white belt is a beginner. Um, and then you go through these different colored ranks and you have tests and that sort of thing. And so I, you know, I began and um, I was in there with, I started it by, you know, by myself. I didn't do it with someone. So everybody in there, I didn't know. I had to get to know them. Um, and it was a big mix of group, group, uh, you know. Um, remember this one guy, Brad, he was a big fella, big fella. And he ended up being the very first black belt um, in New School Aikido, Sacramento. Uh, but he was, a, I think he was a blue belt at the time that I met him um, training. And uh, it was always a little intimidating working with higher ranked students um, because they just knew so much more, right? But I learned that Aikido was more than just technique, right? As a matter of fact, technique is not what Aikido is about at all. The founder of Aikido, Morihei Ueshiba, uh, fondly called O-sensei by his pupils, you know, great teacher, started Aikido. He, uh, you know, he was born near the end of or right after the end of the samurai era in Japan. And uh, he took, he took, he was a, he was kind of a weak, sickly child. And um, so he started studying various martial arts um, just to enhance his physicality. And uh, he was quite good at it. He had a propensity for it. And he studied many different 
schools of martial arts, uh, you know, judo and jujitsu and, um, you know, he worked, he did sword work and, um, as he, as he, as he grew, he became a teacher in his own right. Very accomplished. And, um, he, uh, published a book when he was a young man and it was about Budo and Budo really is a fighting art, the way of fighting. Uh, Do in Japanese is like the word Dao in Chinese. It's the way, right? So it's the way of and the way of Budo, Bu, Bu is a fighting art. And he was quite good at it. And he, uh, uh, was, if he was hard to defeat, if he never was. And, um, then World War II happened. Well, before that, there was the, the Japanese Chinese War, and he fought in that war. Um, and then World War II started, and, uh, the Japanese lost that war. And when the occupation, the American occupation started in Japan, they made a law that it was uh, illegal and prohibited to practice any form of martial art. And martial, of course, is war. It's all about war. Um, that's what a martial art is. And so, Marihei Ueshiba, O-sensei, developed a school of, gosh, I don't, know, I don't even know how I would put it, but he developed Aikido, and he was the only one allowed to teach an art, quote-unquote, martial art in Japan during that occupation. Because, a couple of things. Number one, it wasn't really fighting. And number two, he met uh, USGIs, and he could basically toss them around the mat like they were ragdolls. These big American GIs. And they became his students. And um, uh, they began to actually lay the groundwork for this whole school called Aikido. And here you have a word, Aikido. And Do is way, or the way. And Aiki is peace. So it's the way of peace. And there's a little book. You can still find it. I, I used to have a couple of copies. I tended to give them away. It's called The Art of Peace, and it's a bunch of sayings from uh, Morihei Ueshiba. And they're quite interesting. Um, I uh, I really... One of the things I, I really liked about Aikido is not just that there's so much physicality involved, but there's a philosophy involved and there's a psychological component involved. Uh, one of the things that we as students had to face early on was our inclination to fight. Because Aikido is not a fighting art. And oftentimes when you or I were working with someone and it got intense, you had to check oneself. And am I fighting? Has the fight risen up in me? Am I getting angry? Am I getting that competitive, I want to fight kind of a thing, that feeling? And then what to do with it and face it and talk about it and own it and work through it, you know? Um, there, You cannot do Aikido by yourself. 
another interesting thing about Aikido. I mean, there's a lot of, like in sword work, in other martial arts like jujitsu and judo, there's what's called kata, which are forms, and there's a bunch of them, right? And you can just go through the forms by yourself for your sensei. And if you do the kata correctly, then you can proceed to the next level. In Aikido, it's not, there is no kata. You cannot do it by yourself. So the way it's set up is that there's a, a nage and an uke. And a nage is one who gives, and an uke is one who receives. So you do this together. And the uke and the nage are seen as one entity, right? That's the mindset of the Aikido practitioner, that I am not other from you, but I am you. And as I enter into that I am you, then what proceeds from that relationship is peace, right? So when someone, uh, you know, would come at me with a punch, let's say they're going to punch me, you know, I would blend. I don't know how, you know, I, I don't quite know how to explain. It's not a blending. It's not, I guess it's the closest thing is blending. You're blending with the energy of the moment and then allowing your body to move appropriately. And having learned certain techniques by muscle memory, then simply allowing oneself to enter into that experience, the body moves as it has been trained. Um, and the outcome of it is nonviolent. Osensei was a big proponent, eventually, of Mahatma Gandhi. Um, uh, with nonviolence. I mean, it was a big component. Part of it was having lost the war and seeing the humility of the Japanese people. Um, it's like we need turning to something else. What so if that's not the thing, what is, right? And that what is was peace and love. Um, and it's hard to talk about a martial art that's found that's grounded in peace and love, but Aikido truly, truly is. Oftentimes you'll see Aikido um, practitioners and they're really into the physicality of it. They're into the techniques, they're into the fighting aspect of it. Uh, you know, there's a famous guy, he made some movies um, using Aikido technique and he was, you know, he was dislocating people's arms and he was killing people and he this and that and the other thing. That's not Aikido. Aikido is not a fighting art. Aikido's goal is peace and love. And it mainly, it mainly does that through forcing one to look at oneself. Um, I'm, I, somewhere down the road, I heard that sometimes people equate the spiritual side of Aikido with Buddhism because there is some meditation involved and that sort of thing. But it's not. It's not associated with Buddhism at all. It's associated with Shinto, which is an indigenous religion in Japan. And uh, Osensei uh, became involved with a, a, a sect within Shinto. It's very esoteric. It's Omoto Kyo, Omoto Kyo, O-M-O-T-O, Kyo, K-Y-O, the teachings of Omoto. Um, the founder was very controversial and very, very strange. Um, lots of great, interesting stories, but... The teachings then that Osei incorporated into his Aikido training 
was this esoteric Shinto practice. And there were three main, I would say, images. Circle, triangle, and square. Or you, could, you should actually, actually, triangle should come first, I suppose. Triangle, circle, square. And it's most easily translated into entering, moving, and grounding. Um, and there are many techniques that have all three components in it. Um, one of the things that an Aikidoist does is instead of waiting to engage someone else, and that is to initiate that engagement, or if someone ha has initiated it, to take over, to take over that engagement and control that engagement. And that's the triangle. And then the circle has to do with the movement, allowing the body to move appropriately in that given situation, using whatever techniques might be available to one, which is why it's important to continue your training because there are some techniques to master. Once they're mastered, then you can just relax your mind a bit and simply enter into the situation and allow your body to move. And that's the circle. And then the square is finding that safe space. So you've entered into the situation, you've moved appropriately in that situation, and now you're bringing that situation to a close, right? And it could be a, a pin where you have immobilized the person that you're working with, your uke, because um, we don't see them as opponents. They are not opponents, right? We are two people with different roles accomplishing one thing, peace and love. So, uh, those are the three main elements, triangle, circle, and square. Entering, moving, and grounding. Okay. One of the things I really enjoyed about Matt Flutie and his partner at the time, Teresa, um, was that they were very open to many different, many different ideas, right? Um, and uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna share some experiences that were, that sort of were spin-offs of the Aikido training. One of the first things that happened was that, uh, by, you know, Matt's own studies, he, uh, he came to some points of disagreement with his teacher down in Stockton, and he decided to create his own school, right? And, uh, and he did. Uh, and it was there on 21st. Well, we moved around a bunch. We, did, we actually uh, lost the facility. It, was, it became something else. Um, and it's, 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 I think it's where, uh, th there's a restaurant there, park something or other. It's right, in the, it's right in the corner of, um, 15th and K. That's where it was. And Beer's Books was there at first, and then New School Aikido. Um, yeah, so it's, it's a cool little space. Capital Garage was there for a minute. Very, very fun little space to be in. And now it's this, this restaurant, outdoor park, patio kind of a place. And then we moved around. We went to, uh, let's see, Sierra 2 for a little while. Um, they rented a space down in South Sac off of Highway 99 for a little while. Finally landed this building um, on 21st, just off of Broadway. Cute little place. And we were there for a long, long time. And now they've actually moved next door. 
that was after I'd left. Well, anyway, he'd broken off and he was doing his own his own thing, pretty much. And uh, we had these, I would just call them alternate experiences. Uh, one of the first ones was that we started meeting with a woman, uh, and it was down in Stockton. They'd mended some bridges, and we were still in a relationship with the people in Stockton, just they weren't affiliated, right, in that way. Sensei Smart was the sensei down in Stockton. And, and we went down there for a retreat. I think it was a two-day retreat, actually. So we would drive down there for the day, drive back up, then drive back down on Sunday, you know, Saturday, Sunday kind of a thing. And um, I don't know her background. I don't even remember her, her name. I think it was Nan. I think her name was Nan something. Anyway, um, I remember we were sitting, and there was process work. You know, we actually had to do things. We just didn't sit there and listen. There was meditation and et cetera. So we were meditating on something, and all of a sudden um, she declares that there's this Native American spirit in the room, and she describes this and everything. And uh, and it's interesting that um, this idea comes to me of a name. I was and I and I sort of like, gosh, what? So here's this new name that just came my way, right? And uh, which is cool, you know. We don't always get the opportunity to rename ourselves, and you know, I um, that was cool. Uh, so I shared it, and it was Gray Wolf. Um, so I'd have my birth name, my given name by my parents. Then I had my Sufi name, which I haven't shared yet. Then now I've got Gray Wolf, right? And that was cool. And I got a photograph of, of a Gray Wolf that someone had taken and framed. I have a uh, beeswax candle of a wolf baying at the moon, which I've never lit. I still have. I'm looking at it right now. Um, and it just, it just seemed to fit. And, uh, uh, I, I treasured that, you know, and I just asked people if that's how they would, how they would call me, you know, what they would call me. So anyway, I, I tell that story to lead into another story. I don't know how it happened, but somehow, um, the Fluties got in touch with a guy named Tino Thunder Eagle. Now, Tino Thunder Eagle turns out to be a shaman. I'm trying to remember if he was Cherokee or, or exactly what his, what his tribe was. But he was offering to do um, what were called readings, right? So spiritual readings for us all. And all, all he asked of us is if we would bring a couple of packs of American spirits. He loved American spirits to smoke cigarettes, right? And I thought, you know, what the heck? Let's just, you know, let's go for it. I was always up for something new. Always up for something new. So I go in there, and I think I brought him, you know, two packs of cigarettes. And he opens one of them up immediately. And I don't think he ever had to buy cigarettes. I think people just kept bringing him cigarettes. So anyway, so he lights up, and he starts blowing smoke on me. And he is, as he would say, he's reading the smoke. And he starts talking to me. And one of the first things he says is that I'm from another planet. Okay, that's that's weird, right? 
I've never heard that one before. I mean, I heard a lot, I've heard a lot of things, but I've never had anybody tell me that I was from another planet. And, um, we talked about that for a bit, that it wasn't like I flew from another planet and came here. No, but that the, the spirit that was within me was from another, was from another planet. Okay. So he had some books for me to, to read. And, uh, one of them was about a, a guy, and I think it was in Australia, and he was in his backyard, and some, this alien came down, and it was very Nord- Nordic looking, and beamed him up to the spaceship, and it took him to another planet, and he had all these experiences. Okay, that was interesting. Then there was another book, and it was all about, you know what, and it's in my library, I'm gonna go get it, I will be right back. Okay, here it is. ET 101, the Cosmic Instruction Manual for Planetary Evolution, an Emergency Remedial Earth Edition, co-created by Mission Control and Zoev Yo, J-H-O. Of all the books that Tino suggested, and I read them all, this one I kept. Um, and it's an instruction manual, so let me see what it, uh, what it has to say here. Uh, you know, it's like, wow, Chris. Um, dedication. The dedication is this third dimensional publication of the Cosmic Instruction Manual for Planetary Evolution is dedicated to all, all our relations. Dash the Intergalactic Council. So, there's a little forward by Mission Control. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's pretty funny stuff. Uh, please be advised that the official mission control explanation for switching horses midstream is shifts happen. In the course of reading this book, we caution you that a similar shift may also happen to you from mission control. Then it, it says thanks. And it thanks um, mission control thanks the following members of our ground crew and off-planet advisory committees for their assistance in the third dimensional publication of this manual. Extraterrestrial Earth Mission the Ashtar Command, the Inter-Universal Confederation of Communication and Evolutionary Processes, the Telstar Pilot Project. Special thanks to Council of the Empyrean, the Council of Twelve, Central Sun Productions, and HarperCollins San Francisco. Uh, It's a fun little book to read, um, and it's all about the fact that Aliens have come to the planet, um, not physically, but spiritually, inhabiting physical bodies. But we forgot who we were. And so this is a little book that is intended to remind us of what the mission is and why we're here and what we're supposed to be doing. It's a fun little book. And every once in a while I read it for entertainment. Um, and I, I never quite knew what to make of Tino Thunder Eagle saying I was from another planet. But there you have it. Another plan. He didn't say which one. That would have helped. But, uh, but, but no, he didn't tell me that. I had a question for him. And, um, and it was about that name, right? Gray Wolf. And because I wanted to be appropriate about it. And so I said, you know what? Um, I need to ask you about this experience that I had. And so I told him the experience and I told him the name. And he said to me, he has a question. He goes, and you want to know if it's okay 
for you to use it? And I said, yeah, basically that's what I want to know. And he said, yes, you're free to use it. So, you know, that was it. I think we had a, it was a half an hour of chit chat. Um, and that's my takeaway after all these years. I mean, we're talking, you know, mid nineties or so. So that's what, 10, 20, 25 years ago. Uh, that was interesting. A few, uh, maybe a year later or so, um, you know, he's still in touch and he's going to be giving people an opportunity to do a little, uh, vision quest. And it was just going to be a weekend event. Um, he was coming back from the Sundance. So we met, uh, I don't remember exactly, exactly. I guess we all met together there in Sacramento and then drove to this down south, down past Lodi, I think. And then you turn east and you head towards the foothills. And there was this little secluded area there. And um, he had just come from the Sundance, which is pretty intense. And uh, he showed us the wounds in his uh, in his chest, one on each side. Um, part of it, part of that Sundance is the puncturing of the pectoral muscle in the chest. Uh, it is there is then the it's like a horn or a you know some kind of a barb uh, that's attached to a pole, right? And at some, at one point during the dance, they lean back until those barbs actually rip out of the chest. Um, it's pretty intense. Anyway, so he had these wounds in his chest. And we had this, uh, vision quest. And I remember I, I, I brought a sleeping bag. Um, and I think a jug of water. And I think that's all we had while we were down there. And, uh, I think we may have had some food, but not a lot. We had a fire pit, but most of the time was spent by ourselves. And I had found a little depression in the dirt um, to lie in. It was big enough for me to lie in. I remember I was uh, conserving my energy because we didn't, we weren't eating much. And I was lying on my sleeping bag, and I heard a noise. And I and I look up, and here's this little wall of dirt next to me because I'm in a depression, right? And I see the dirt starting to move. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be interesting. And pretty soon, this little gopher pokes his head out and looks at me. And so my spirit animal's a gopher, I guess, right? And so I had this little uh, moment with the gopher, and um, he then popped back into his hole and never saw him again. So that was pretty wild. And then. Uh, we were out walking the property and we were out, you know, pretty much walking by ourselves. And I found a big black feather. It was a, a crow feather or a raven feather. It was huge. Um, and, uh, that was my find, you know, and part of being on the vision quest is that signs will come, right? You'll just, and that spirit leading you to something, some information about yourself, um, about who you are where you're going, what your path might be. Um, and uh, so I took that in, and I had that feather for the longest time. I no longer have it, but, yeah, it was around. And uh, and that was cool. And I remember um, on the way back, I had a horrible headache, just a horrible headache. 
And so I was in the, he had a pickup truck and I just laid in the back of the truck trying to just be as still as possible because my head hurt so bad. And then I remember sharing all of this with Elijah, right? My Sufi teacher. And uh, he shared with me something that I thought was really interesting. He said, as you begin to grow in capacity, right? Spiritually. And your mind is growing in capacity. You can get headaches because it's expanding and it's not quite used to that expanded space. So there's a couple of things that are uh, taught in Sufism. There's a set and there's a there's a state and a station, right? I was going to say set and setting, but that's LSD. No, it's a state and station, right? So we can acquire certain mental, spiritual, psychic states. But we can't stay there, right? We can get there through chant or through dance or through um, various substances or through music or drumming, right? There's lots of ways to get into these quote-unquote altered states. But it's next to impossible to stay there. That's a state. A station is when you get to that state and you stay there. That becomes your norm. Your new norm, and that's your station. Um, and so, as you, what was happening was, according to Elijah, was that I was entering into a station, that it was a place that I would not be falling back from. You know, like in in uh, uh, atomic physics, you know, when you excite an electron, you can go up into a, a higher state of energy electron cloud. And then it falls back down into a lower energy state after a while. That's a state, right? I was not going to be falling back into my previous state. I was expanding into a new station. That was interesting. Um, You know, I don't know. But that's, you know, the space I was in at the time. And that was the interpretation at the time. And, um, you know, this is not science, folks. This is, you know, something other than science. Pseudoscience, I suppose. I don't know what you'd call it. But anyway, it is what it is. So that was all quite quite the interesting experience. Um, another very interesting experience is uh, when we, uh, Matt and I, took a road trip up to Seattle, uh, Washington, to visit a Shinto shrine. An Aikido teacher... Uh, also had been studying to be a Shinto priest. He became the first American Shinto priest and built his own shrine up there outside of, of Seattle. Since he was an Aikido teacher, he, you know, he would travel around uh, to hold little workshops and seminars on Aikido, um, to make an extra, some extra money. And he, he had come to Roseville, apparently, and that's from... That's where Matt met him, and he invited us up. So um, I had recently quit UPS, and I had all this free time now. And I said, hey, I will drive us. So we left Sacramento, I think one early afternoon maybe. I forget what time we left. And we drove straight there. Well, straight to Seattle anyway. And I remember we got there late, late, late at night. It was early morning, probably. Found uh, an off-road camp spot 
and uh, tried to get a couple of hours sleep before the sun rose. Sun finally rose, and we made our way into Seattle. One of uh, Sensei um, Sensei Barish, one of his students, was living in Seattle, had a house, and had offered to put us up. So we stayed with him for the week. We were there for a week. And one of the, one of the greatest things I remember, we both had the same name, Christian. Um, and one of the greatest things was he had a refrigerator in his basement that he had converted to a uh, uh, a beer cooler. He had a keg inside there, and he had a tap that came out the side of the of the refrigerator. And we had always had refrigerator cold beer on tap. And that was that was cool. I had never I've never forgotten that. Um, very cool guy and his partner, and great people. Um, and so you know we got to experience Seattle for a week. And I must admit, it didn't rain one time. It was cloudy, not overcast, just cloudy and blue sky, cloudy. It was beautiful weather. And so once we got settled uh, with Christian in his house, he then escorted us to the uh, the Shinto shrine um and it, and it was made with all the you know he, sensei Barish had um imported tra- the traditional wood because you have to have a special wood that only grows in Japan and it was a, the traditional architecture and everything about it was Shinto I mean it was full on he was a full on Shinto priest he did Shinto rituals and the whole nine yards. Um, and it's, it was just super impressive, super impressive. And so we would uh, uh, go out there to do these Shinto practices, one of which I remember clearly um, was misogi. Now, misogi is a, purifica- a purification ritual. Uh, oftentimes, I would say most of the time, probably in Japan, uh, this particular practice is done under a waterfall. Um, and there's certain prescribed postures and prayers and chants and that sort of thing. But on this property where we were up there out of, outside of Seattle, there was no waterfall, but there was this stream. I wouldn't even call it a river. It was a stream. And uh, we showed up early one morning. The sun had just come up and, uh, we had to put on these uh, loincloths. I mean, basically, that's all it was, was a loincloth. And um, we would walk down to the edge of the stream and take our, you know, sandals off. And so we were barefoot. And these, you know, he would perform the Shinto ritual. He'd throw salt at us and all a bunch of stuff I don't understand. And um, then we would enter the stream. Oh, man, it was cold. It was so cold. And not only did we wade into the stream, and it came up to probably about my waist, but we had to be then go into a crouched position so that we were up to our neck in this water. And this was water that was coming right off of the snow mountains. You know, it's like just above freezing probably. It was cold. And uh, we had to chant, and there's a special thing you do with your hands um, to, to generate heat. And uh, I re- I remember thinking, oh my gosh, I'm going to lose my grip. My feet are going numb. 
Um, I'm just, I'm not, I'm going to fall, I'm going to fall over. I'm going to be swept away. Um, of course, none of that happened, but those were my fears. And uh, we were in that water for a good period of time. And we, we finally came out and I looked down and my feet were white. I mean, there was no, the blood had left my feet. I couldn't feel the ground. I don't even know how I walked back to the changing room. Um, you know, I just rubbed my feet to get the circulation going again. Um, and I thought, I don't think I'm going to make this week, you know. Then in the evenings, he would hold Aikido classes in the, in the, in the temple itself. Um, he had a bunch of students up there and he invited us to, to, uh, participate. And it was, um, you know, it was a different type of Aikido than I was used to. It, it was, there was far more, um, of the, of the physicality involved. Um, very much more of a confrontational, uh, aspect to it. Um, so it was, it was different. It was a different kind of a week. But we did this Masogi every day. And, uh, I have to admit that by the last day, um, the water felt warm. Uh, I never lost, uh, a feeling in my feet. When I came out of that cold water, they were pink. They were warm. Um, my body somehow had adjusted and, um, I had, uh, you know, grown accustomed to that cold water. It was no longer a big deal. Um, now I decided that I wasn't going to continue that pra- practice when I got back to Sacramento. I mean, I could stand under a cold shower, but, you know, cold isn't my best friend. Don't like cold. So I thought I could do it for a week because, but on my own, I'm not doing it. So, um, so I, I gave that up, but it was a, you know, it was a wonderful time. It was a great bonding time for me and, and Sensei Flutie, Flutie, Matt Flutie. Um, and just diving into the, the Shinto side of the philosophy of, of Aikido. And I'll never forget that experience. And as far as I know, he's still up there. Uh, you can go online and you can, you can find the Shinto shrine. That's in up out of Seattle in Washington. Sensei Barish, B A R R I S H, um, and uh, you can you can see the property and uh, you know, yeah, it, it's pretty interesting stuff. So that was a, a great experience. Now you may be wondering how far I got into the Aikido. Um, I bought lots of books and I studied and I practiced. I went every opportunity that I could. You know, I was a UPS driver for a lot, a large part of all that. And I remember, you know, working through my lunches, working through my breaks, doing everything I could so that I could end my day and get to the dojo on time to practice. It was a big deal for me. Um, and eventually, uh, I earned my black belt, which is the first level. It's a shodan. And what's, you know, it's funny. Here's the irony of the whole belt system. You get a white belt. It's a beginner's belt, right? And then you make progress along the way. And I have a hunch that that whole system was developed for Americans to gauge their progress because we we need to see progress. We need to have little awards along the way, right? Shodan, a don is a rank, right? And show is beginning. It is the beginning rank. So after, after years of training and you earn your black belt, finally, you're back at beginner again. 
And it's very Zen in a sense. You know, it's like that beginner's mind. Here you've learned all this stuff. Here you've become somewhat accomplished in this particular art form. And yet, now you're a beginner again. And uh, it's just, I, I just love that aspect of it. And, you know, I, I, uh, I, rem I, I continued studying for a long time after that. I was hoping maybe to get my um, second rank. Um, and I forget what it's called. But that was what I was hoping for. And it didn't happen. And um, so at some point, I decided that, you know, that was good enough for me. I'll go ahead and uh, and do something different. So I did and uh, put that behind me. When I left, I donated all my books to the library there in the dojo uh, for other people to read because I can't be the only person that likes to read books. Um, and, uh, yeah, so... That was my, my Aikido experience. And it still comes in handy, you know, because what's more important than the techniques is being able to embody the philosophy of triangle, circle, square, the philosophy of nonviolence, right? When finding yourself in a situation and how to come out of it with the best outcome. So uh, fortunately, I don't find myself in situations like that. So I've never had to really put it to the test. Um, but I feel comfortable and confident um, that I am safe within my own body. Anyhow, that that's my, my Aikido uh, experience in a nutshell. Many years into a, an hour or so of telling. People on the way, Matt and Teresa Flutie, um, Tino Thunder Eagle, Nan, if I remember her name correctly. Um, and all my fellow Aikidoists that journeyed uh, along that same path uh, of Aikido in Sacramento. So, uh, there you have it. And uh, I'll try to find something interesting to talk to. I think we're coming pretty close to um, the end of Season 2. I've got to find some more, because there were multiple things happening at the same time, right? Not only was I studying Aikido, not only was I still studying Sufism, but I was also now getting interested in early Christianity. So all these things were happening at the same time. Um, so I'll start trying to, uh, to draw all these threads together. I stopped just then to um, pause and, and collect myself before I ended this podcast. When I did, I heard that my upstairs neighbor is playing the piano, which is very nice to hear. I don't know if any of it's coming through on the podcast, but um, it's, it's beautiful to hear. So anyway, um, I'm going to sign off for now. I'm Chris Jensen, and I'll be talking with you soon. My Life and Welcome to It is produced by me, Chris Jensen. My technical consultant is David Patterson of Drowning Man Productions. 
David, along with three others, have a podcast called Wasting All the Time, and they provide improvisational comedy uh, for us to listen to. I would encourage you to check them out. The art for My Life and Welcome to It uh, is drawn by Dave Edwards. And if you're interested in any of other, uh, Dave's other art, um, you can find him on Instagram at EvilDaveTM. You can find this podcast wherever podcasts can be found. And I'd love to hear from you. Um, you can email me at MLAWTI101 at gmail.com. The music for Chasing After God, which is part of my life and welcome to it, is Skywards by Will Van de Cromert. Well, that's all for now. I look forward to spending some time with you again next Saturday. And until then, be safe, be well, and God bless.